If you're not careful, you would, you would assume that the children's sermon is for us to explain the faith to the kids. Uh, it really tends to work the other way, doesn't it? What a wonderful gift the children are in our church. Uh, so as we uh, turn to our scripture lesson this morning, we'll be reading a very brief passage from Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. As I mentioned, this is Word Sung Sunday, which means at, at our 8 and at our 9, um, it, it, you can look at it two ways. You could think that this is, a, this is kind of just an oddball Sunday. It's different because the sermon doesn't happen at the 11. Or you could look at it as, as a, kind of a special Sunday. It gives us an opportunity to do something that's really just for us. So this morning, we'll be looking at uh, Hebrews 13, and we will also be looking at some of the art that's in this room. Uh, So as we prepare to uh, go to God's word, let's first go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we uh, give you thanks for the gift of this time. As we uh, come together today, we we bring with us uh, the the cares, the concerns, uh, the, the, the worries about the people and situations in our lives. And for these moments, we... We entrust those to you. We ask that you would, you would carry those burdens for us, that you would allow us to focus uh, solely on you, on your presence with us uh, right now, in this room or wherever we are. We ask that you would open our, our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts, that we might hear your word and understand who you are, uh, who you have created us to be, and how you are calling us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a short passage for us today from Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3. Listen to the word of God. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who were in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, as the echoes of your word hang in our ears, we ask that you would help your word to find its way into our hearts and into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some have entertained angels without knowing it. If you can entertain angels without knowing it, that means there could be angels anywhere, which means they could be in this room. Now, I mean, a lot of us know each other, so we're, we're, we're pretty sure we know who people are. But if Hebrews is, is right, that you could entertain angels without knowing it, it means there could be angels in this room. And so as we read this passage, it's, it's, almost, a, it's almost a challenge to us to, to spot them, to, to pay attention, to be aware of the angels that may be in our midst or surrounding us at any given moment. And when I, when I read scripture and I find a, a challenge like that, when I find a dare like this, I, I can hardly help myself. I, I want to jump into it. I want to respond to this kind of challenge. So if, if we want to respond to the challenge... Let's, let, let's, let's do that. Let's take a few moments today. Let's, let's think about what it would be like to notice the angels around us. Now, I'd like to think that if I was in the presence of an angel, I might be able to notice. I, I'd like to think that I might, I might hear something. A, 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 a sound 
when the angel speaks. Maybe, maybe it's a subtle sound, but there may be that, that otherworldly sound in the voice of an angel. I'd like to think I'd pick up on that and notice something special was happening. And if it's not, if it's not the sound, maybe I'd, uh, maybe I'd like to think that I'd notice a, a spark in the angel's eyes. Some sort of a, a heavenly light. I'd like to think I would catch that, that subtle spark. And I'd notice that something special was happening. But if I, if I didn't notice the sound of the angel's voice, if I didn't notice the spark in the angel's eye, I'd like to think I might get, even though it would be ever so subtle, I might get one other little clue. I might get a hint from the eight-foot wings protruding out of the angel's back. I'd like to think I'd notice eight feet of wings protruding out of someone's back. Uh, but as we think about angels, that, that tends to be the image we have in our minds. They've got these enormous wings. In fact, we've, we've got some of those images in this room. We've got uh, two wonderful pictures of angels in our stained glass windows on either side of the sanctuary. There's one in the back corner over there. There's one over here. And they're actually on the stained glass uh, in the slide behind me. And they're actually peppered throughout the stained glass windows. I, I challenge you to notice the angels in the stained glass windows. Not when I'm preaching. Do it after worship. But try to count how many angels are in the stained glass windows. And here's a hint. You won't be able to see all of them from where you're sitting. But we've got these angels in stained glass. We've got one that's, that's kind of a, an angel touching its chest. And it looks uh, sort of, uh, it's called the contemplative angel. Uh, it almost looks like it's embodying that command from the psalm. Be still and know that I am God. This message of, of stillness of being in the presence of God when we gather in worship. We've got another one over here that's, that's holding Easter lilies. This is the Easter angel holding those lilies, a reminder of the good news of the gospel, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And they both got gigantic wings coming out of their backs. I'd like to think if I saw one of those creatures walking in the back of the sanctuary, I would recognize it by the wings. And when they couldn't sit in the pew because the wings were in the way, I'd like to think we would notice a creature like that. So as we're, we're responding to this challenge from Hebrews... Let's, let's look through Scripture and see where we find these kinds of wings. It turns out if you look in Scripture, there are wings all over the place. Most of them are pretty unremarkable. Uh, we find wings on ravens. We find wings on doves. We find wings on hens. We find wings on eagles. Exactly where you would expect to find them. But if you look closely, every once in a while in Scripture, you, you'll find wings in a place you don't expect them. You find right in Genesis, we, we find a creature uh, that's guarding the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve have been expelled, there's, there's a creature that's placed to protect it, and it's called a cherub. We don't get much description of the cherub at that moment, other than the fact that the, the cherub has a flaming sword. Now, when we hear the word cherub, what we tend to think is fat, naked baby. That's what we think of when we think of a cherub. And yet, in Genesis, the cherub has a flaming sword, which is not appropriate to give to a fat, naked baby. But as we continue reading Scripture, we find the cherubs come back. And as the people are, are instructed to, to build the Ark of the Covenant, they're told to put uh, two cherubs on top, and that their wings would touch each other. And as you read through all these descriptions of the cherubs, we only get wings. We have no idea what's behind the wings. 
It's all wing. The wings are covering the rest of the body, and all we can find are the wings. So we don't really know if they, they look like these uh, creatures in our stained glass until someone catches a glimpse. If you read through the Old Testament, eventually someone catches a glimpse behind the wings of a cherub and sees what the cherubim look like. It's Ezekiel. And in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees behind the wings of the cherub and describes what a cherub looks like. And he gives us great detail. So much detail that there's no way I can go through it all in a Sunday morning sermon. You would be way done before I got there. So instead of me telling you what the cherub looks like, let's, let's suffice it to say a cherub looks nothing like what you see in the windows. And if you want to know what a cherub looks like, go home and read Ezekiel 10. In fact, I, I know some of you are tremendous artists. Go home, read Ezekiel 10, draw what you see, and bring it to me. I would love to see how you envision a cherub from Ezekiel 10. Go home, read Ezekiel 10. A cherub looks nothing like what we see in these windows. What we see in these windows do not have enough wings or enough eyes. We'll leave it at that. The cherub do not look like what's in these windows. And as you look through Ezekiel, what Ezekiel says, uh, he, he talks about these cherubs, but he only calls them cherubs. He never calls them angels. So if we're looking for angels with wings, the cherubs aren't going to do it for us. They seem to be angelic, but they're, they're not described as angels. So we have to look somewhere else. So if we continue looking through the Old Testament, if we try to find uh, more strange winged creatures, we will find them. We'll find them in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah describes a strange experience he has in worship. And as Isaiah finds himself in the temple Suddenly, he, he looks up and he sees that he's surrounded by char characters, creatures that he calls the seraphim. And as he looks at the seraphim, Isaiah describes them the best he can. And once again, they, they have wings, and that's about all Isaiah tells us. He tells us that they, they have wings, but more wings than the characters on our stained glass windows. Uh, three times as many wings, in fact. Isaiah describes something that looks quite different from what we see in these windows. And he tells us that they sing. Isaiah tells us that these, these seraphim love to sing, and he actually writes the lyrics that they sing. They sing, holy, holy, holy. A lot like the song we used when we opened worship this morning. And as Isaiah describes these seraphs with their, their three pairs of wings singing, holy, 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 he never calls them angels. He, he calls them seraphim, not angels, and they seem to be angelic beings, but Isaiah doesn't call them angels. And so at this point, we found several strange creatures with wings, but they're not called angels, and we're running out of time in our sermon. So we can't keep looking for wings in the Old Testament. We're going to have to go at this another way. Maybe instead of starting with the wings and looking for the angels, we should start with the angels and see what else we can find. Maybe we need to look throughout Scripture and see what, what angels we can find. We, we start here in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 describes uh, these, these angels that people don't even tend to notice. And it seems that Hebrews 13 is, is a reference to an Old Testament story from Genesis. Where Abraham and Sarah entertained three visitors who brought them a message. And Abraham and Sarah didn't even recognize that they were angels until the message was delivered and the messengers were gone. 
And if we continue through the Old Testament, we, we find a, an angel shows up again in, in the book of Judges. In Judges 13, there's another couple that, that have a conversation with an angel. And once again, as they're talking to the angel, they don't even recognize what's happening. They have no idea that it's an angel until the message is delivered and the angel is gone. Or think about the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph both have an encounter with an angel. And they're so confused and so terrified, they don't understand what's happening to them until the message is delivered and the angel is gone. Or what about Easter? On Easter, Mary goes to the empty tomb and finds that it is attended by an angel. And through her tears and her confusion, Mary has no idea what's happening until the message is delivered and the angel is gone. As we look at these stories, this is, this is not good news for our quest to, to realize and recognize the angels. I mean, each time we find these angels in, in the story in Genesis, in Judges, in uh, the Christmas story, in the Easter story, people can't recognize them until it's too late. They can't identify the angels until the message is delivered and the angel is gone, which may be part of the reason that people have entertained angels without knowing it. Except, except to have that feature in common, that means each of these stories about angels has not one thing, but two things in common. In each of these four stories, people don't recognize the angel until the message is delivered and the angel is gone. If you can't recognize until the angel is gone, that's not good news. But, but look at the first part. The first part of that commonality is they don't recognize the angel until the message is delivered. In each one of these stories, the angel fulfills a specific function. The angel fulfills a specific duty. The angel is there to deliver a message. And if angels always do the same thing, then that may allow us to be on the lookout for when someone is filling that same function. So we can look throughout Scripture and we can find other stories of angels and see if perhaps they have this in common. And as we look in the New Testament, we find that they use the word angel quite a bit. And sometimes, sometimes when the New Testament writers talk about angels, they're not strange creatures. In fact, in the Gospels, Sometimes the New Testament gospel authors talk about John the Baptist. They describe what he wears. We know his, who his parents are. We know his lineage. And they call John the Baptist an angel. He's, he's a normal person. And yet they call him an angel. And after Easter, after Mary has her encounter with the angel, the gospel writers tell us that Mary goes back to the disciples and does a little bit of angeling herself as she brings a message to the disciples. In the book of Acts, tells us that Moses had a conversation with an angel in this burning bush. And that's, that's not an ordinary person. That's, that's landscaping right there. Moses encounters an angel in the form of landscaping. And all of a sudden, as we see that we, we get these, these angels, these visitors to, to Abraham and Sarah, the visitors and judges, the messenger to Mary, the messenger to Joseph, the messenger to Mary Magdalene, we get, we get angels like John the Baptist, angels like Mary herself, angels like the burning bush. We find that what they have in common is that every one of them is bringing a message. 
every angel we find in Scripture is entrusted with a message to share, a word from the Lord to proclaim. And suddenly it appears that maybe the word angel is not a biological term. It's a job title. Being an angel is less about your biology and more about your function. An angel is really just someone who brings a message from God, which means that anyone who has told you the good news of the gospel has been filling the role of an angel. Anyone who has reminded you that God loves you, no matter what, is doing the job of an angel. Anyone who's proclaimed to you that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again is fulfilling the duties of an angel. Anyone who has challenged you to live your faith, to give more faithfully, to share more faithfully, or to proclaim the message yourself has been fulfilling the role of an angel. It turns out as we look through scripture, angel is not a biological term. It's a job title, which means you could entertain angels without even knowing that they are angels until the message is delivered and the angel is gone. It means there could be angels in this room. When we gather for worship, we may be surrounded by angels. Go be an angel. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.